There is no one like Jesus, matchless, holy, without compare. We're going to be in Acts chapter 7 today. Acts chapter 7. And our main text is going to be in verse 51 and following, but I'd like to begin with verse 44 here in just a moment. Um, Have you ever wondered why there's a great divide oftentimes in Christianity? Why is it if... If God is in something, why is there such a divide? And, and you've got people who name the name of Christ who are saying this over here, people who name the name of Christ who are saying this over here. Well, sometimes you may have um, division because of, of selfish priorities. There, James talks about that. But sometimes it's something very much, much more serious. Jesus actually talked about the fact that there's an enemy who sows tares among the wheat. And what I understand, I'm no farmer, but from what I understand, when wheat and tares grow up beside each other, you cannot tell the difference between them until the harvest comes. Uh, And at the very end, the true colors are shown. Uh, There is a harvest coming. Jesus is coming back. And we desperately need to know where we stand with Christ. And if you don't know Christ, if you... Uh, name the name of Christ, but you don't know him, you need to know that, right? Now, I recognize that whenever you have a group of people together like this, you're going to have some who are genuine Christians who worry about their their salvation, whether or not they're saved, uh, and it is the attack of the enemy, and you need to be aware of that. Sometimes the enemy can attack us with that. But the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. He'll be very clear. If you're lost, he'll help you know it if you ask him to, okay? Uh, But I'm not speaking primarily to those people today. I'm going to speak primarily to the people that are like I was once, uh, people who name the name of Christ but perhaps don't know they're lost. And uh, the scripture that we have here in Acts 7 Uh, Stephen, if anybody was supposed to be right with God, it was supposed to be the Sanhedrin because they were the leaders. They were the religious leaders of all the people of the land of Israel. Uh, The the priests, uh, the Sadducean uh, families were in the Sanhedrin. The Pharisees who were considered uh, hyper-religious in Israel were in the Sanhedrin. And yet, many of them, most of them, with a few exceptions... We're lost. What a tragedy. Spend your whole life studying the Word of God. Spend your whole adult life serving God, so you think, in uh, the temple of that day, but you are lost. What are those characteristics that we see? Well, we're going to talk about that here in a moment. What does Stephen do? Well, they, they've arrested Stephen because... Uh, Stephen uh, is, is debating and is, is healing, and there's a jealousy there. Uh, and they, they create a false witness against him, and they, they bring him before the Sanhedrin. And they say, are you going to answer these charges? And he stands up, and he begins to preach. And he reminds them of the past of Abraham and of Moses and of Joseph and David and 
all these different seasons and eras in Israel's history. And he says, you remember this, but you rebelled. I'm kind of oversimplifying here, but this is the gist of it. Uh, you remember this, but you rebelled. You remember this, but you rebelled. In the time of Joseph, the brothers hated him. In the time of Moses, he had those who opposed him and uh, who wanted to go back to Egypt. In the time of David, as you read the Psalms, you recognize he had to pray against enemies all the time. There was opposition against what was going on. What about in the captivity? The Bible says in Deuteronomy that if you can continue not to listen, you're going to be sent into captivity. They were sent into captivity. They get back from captivity, and what do they do? They rebel. This has been the history of the Israelite people. Now, obviously, there's exceptions to that. Uh, Praise God, there's a remnant, right? Uh, But Stephen talks about this history, and then he turns the attention to this group that he was standing before, this Sanhedrin And he begins to confront them with the truth of where they are. It's a very pointed, very direct message. And as he begins to point out that they are just like the rebellious forefathers of old, they get angry, they rush him, they drag him outside the city, they stone him to death. And the first martyr... Uh, is welcomed by Jesus into heaven. So what are these characteristics? That's what I want to talk to you about today. You might not know Jesus if. That's my title. You might not know Jesus if. And let's begin reading in verse 44. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the testimony in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses commanded him to make it according to the pattern he had seen. Our ancestors in turn received it, and with Joshua brought it in when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before them until the days of David. He found favor in God's sight and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. It was Solomon, rather, who built him a house. But the Most High does not dwell in sanctuaries made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne. And the earth is my footstool. What sort of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what will be my resting place? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. As your ancestors did, you do also. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have become. You received the law under the direction of angels and yet have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were enraged and gnashed their teeth at him. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look. I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, Do not hold this sin 
against them. And after saying this, he died. You might not know Jesus if. By the way, let me say this before we get into the the body of it. Uh, Stephen, in the way he responds in this circumstance, sounds a whole lot like who? Jesus Christ, right? Listen, I'm going to tell you something. You're filled with the Spirit of God as Stephen is. People will see Jesus in you. And sometimes that's a good thing. And sometimes that is a costly thing, (laughs) as Stephen found out. Uh, So you might not know Jesus if. um, What defining characteristics, and that's an important phrase, defining characteristics, indicate that you don't know Jesus? You don't know him if consistently... If regularly, if as a habit, if as a course of life. You see this this pattern here? I'm not talking about once. I'm not even talking about a handful of times. I'm talking about regular behavior, a settled course of life, okay? So don't don't hear me say one of these things and then say, oh, no, okay? Unless it is a settled course of life and then be surprised and be disturbed. Okay, got it? I just want to mention that. All right. You might not know Jesus if. What defining characteristics indicate that you don't know Jesus? You don't know him if consistently you choose not to listen. If consistently you choose not to listen. Look at verse 51. You stiff-necked. People, if you're stiff-necked, you're stubborn, right? You can't turn your head and be responsive. You're just stiff-necked, right? You you ever see somebody get stiff-necked, you know, kind of? And, yeah, it's you're determined to resist. You're determined not to listen. Yeah, I'm going my own way. Don't talk to me. I have made up my mind. This is what I'm going to do. I am stiff-necked, right? If I choose not to listen. Some people come to church having no intention of ever doing what Jesus says. You ever know that? Did you know that some people will come to church and maybe, maybe they will come to church and they know the right things to say. They know how to act uh, because they've been in church a long time. But then they go out in the community and they live a completely different way. They have no intention of obeying Jesus. They're what what you call uh, uh, closet uh, unbelievers, right? Because they say they're a Christian. They act like a Christian where they're at church. But when they go out in the world, they live like the devil. You know somebody like that. I I would lay odds. You know somebody who talks like the world, who acts like the world, who thinks like the world... Uh, and, and they just do not have any intention of following Jesus, right? The Pharisees refused to listen. Who did they have speaking to them? John the Baptist. Jesus said, there's not a greater man on the face of the earth up, uh, up through the time of the prophets unto the, the time of the kingdom of heaven, which we're getting ready to start, Jesus said. Uh, he's the greatest born of women. John the Baptist, what a great messenger God sent. But they wouldn't listen to him. They had, uh, they had plots against him. They were trying to capture him in what he said. They were opposing him. Uh, what about uh, Jesus? 
They didn't listen to Jesus either, right? They put him to death. It was this very body that put Jesus to death. And so they're not listening to Peter or John. We've already talked about that. Uh, what, about, uh, what about Stephen? Stephen, all these great works of God are taking place. People are being changed. And listen, the Sanhedrin had to know it. They were the government. They had to see the change that was happening in people's lives. That people were turned from darkness to light. They were living different. There was a difference being made in their lives. But they refused to listen. Jesus spoke to a group from the Sanhedrin when he said, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit of God was dealing with them, but rather than responding to it, they'd gotten so hard-hearted to the things of God, they said, that's the work of the devil. And Jesus said, you can blaspheme me, you can blaspheme the Father, but you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, there's no hope for you. The Spirit backs off from that person, and forever they are on the course to hell. So, they refuse to listen. So you choose not to listen. If you have a settled pattern, if there's never been repentance in your life, you don't know Jesus. Jesus said, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Jesus said, my sheep, hear my voice and follow me. If you're not hearing his voice and following, you're not a sheep. You need to be saved. All right. So, you might not know Jesus if. What are the defining characteristics that indicate you don't know Jesus? You don't know Jesus if consistently you choose not to listen, if consistently your heart is unchanged. Your heart is unchanged. In verse 51, he says, You are uh, stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. With uncircumcised hearts and ears. In other words, they're not listening. We've talked about that. But they're uncircumcised hearts. What does he mean by uncircumcised heart? Well, this is talked about in the Old Testament. Of course, to be a Jew, uh, the male children of the Jewish people were circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. That was part of the covenant that God made with Abraham. They were, they were circumcised. But what, what happened was is in the book of Deuteronomy, but also in the prophets, God says, look, it's not enough to just be circumcised outwardly. You need to be circumcised in your heart. You need to have a change take place within you. Uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, uh, these prophets talk about this. You're uncircumcised in heart. Your heart is unchanged. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus? You must be born again. Nicodemus, it's not enough just to be religious. It's not enough that you're the teacher. Nicodemus, you must be born again. Paul said this, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away and all things are become new. Notice what I didn't say. He didn't say you're perfect. There's no Christian that is. If any man says he's without, without sin, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. There's none of us that are perfect, but if you know Jesus Christ, there will be a change in your heart. If you haven't had a change in your heart toward Christ, uh, then you don't know Jesus according to the Bible. All right, so you might not know Jesus if. What are the defining characteristics that indicate you don't know Jesus? 
You don't know him if consistently you choose not to listen, if consistently your heart is unchanged, if consistently you oppose the Spirit's work. Look at this, verse 51 again. You are always, what is that, a pattern, a course of life, a consistency, right? This is a path. This is not a one-time thing. Consistently. You are always resisting the Holy Spirit. If you oppose the Spirit's work, you don't know Jesus Christ. Now, notice what I, what I didn't say here. I didn't say if you oppose a preacher who's ungodly. I didn't say that. Sometimes you might need to stand up to your preacher. Okay? Sometimes he might not be teaching the truth. Hopefully, if it's me, hopefully I am, okay? But, but I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this. When, whenever God's people go out to do something, to reach people for Christ or to make a difference in the lives of children or to make a difference in the lives of the people of the church and you're always against it, that's an indicator. That's an indicator. We had a, we had a fellow um, in a previous church, which I won't name, but uh, he was the center of trouble consistently in the church. Um, Whenever anybody tried to do something for Jesus in, the, in our children's ministry, uh, it didn't matter. And he was an equal opportunity opposer. Anything that had anything good to do with the kingdom of God, he opposed. And he had his reasons for why he opposed it. But the basic reason was he was on the opposite side of Jesus. He was against Jesus rather than being for Jesus. If you're always opposing the Spirit's work, you need to look at your life because you don't know Christ. So, uh, that doesn't mean you have to agree with every ministry initiative. Okay, I've had people do that to me before, say, well, you know, you're, uh, we're supposed to be Christians, we're supposed to love others, and so you need to do what I want. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is a person who has a settled opposition against everything God's trying to do, and they're a consistent source of trouble for the church. That is serious business. Not only do you not know Christ, but you are in a dangerous position if that is your position. So, he says they're always... Was he right? Pretty much. I mean, they... They opposed as much as they could. Now, they, they were afraid of the crowds, so they would back off. They knew what was politically going too far. They kind of walked the line as far as what they could get away with. But whatever opportunity came their way to oppose what God was doing, they were opposing it. Uh, sometimes they were criticizing in the background. Other times, uh, they were plotting against the leaders who were doing the ministry. Uh, sometimes, they were trying to lie about Jesus or lie about the apostles. Uh, and so, they had this whole system of things they were doing to oppose, by any means, the work of God. Be very careful with that. I'd hate to be the one standing in the way of what God wants to do. It's a dangerous place to be. All right. 
So you might not know Jesus. By the way, I'm not preaching to anybody in case you're wondering that. I'm not preaching to anybody. This just came up in the text, okay? Uh, but I do want to make it clear because there are times, and, and we've got people watching online as well, there are times when, when, when these things are happening in the church. And so if one of these things resembles you, I want you to know, because I want to tell you the truth, I want you to be prepared for heaven. And I want you to escape hell, so I'm telling the truth. All right, so uh, you might not know Jesus if. What defining characteristics indicate you don't know Jesus? You don't know him if consistently you choose not to listen, if consistently your heart is unchanged, if consistently you oppose the Spirit's work, if consistently you know but don't obey, if consistently you know but don't obey. Look at verse 53. You received the law under the direction of angels and yet have not kept it. Now, this is more than just failing and being disobedient from time to time. You know, all of us sin, uh, and when you realize the magnitude of your sin, you realize that you sin multiple times a day. When you're talking about attitudes and you're talking about the words that you say, uh, and the things that you should do that you don't do. Uh, all of these things are included under the umbrella of sin. Uh, but what is, what is he saying to them? He's saying, look, you guys, you don't just know the law. You're teachers of the law. You are supposed to be the examples of what it means to follow what God has said. And yet you're not doing it. What did Jesus say about them? He said that behind the scenes, they tried to look holy in public, but behind the scenes, they were stealing. They were making a prey of widows' houses. Hey, there's a widow that's in trouble. Let's go uh, seize her property and take her money. Okay? That's pretty wicked, right? Uh, they were plotting against Jesus to kill Jesus, the most holy man, the most righteous man uh, to ever walk upon this earth. They were opposing him. They were going about trying to kill him, plotting from the very beginning of his ministry to try to kill him. Uh, that is a very wicked thing. The Bible says, thou shalt not kill. Literally, thou shalt not murder. And yet, that's exactly what they were trying to do to Jesus. By the way, that's exactly what they do to Stephen right here. You know, but don't do. Honor your father and mother. What did Jesus tell them? Jesus said, well, you've said uh, what I should give to my father and mother is korban. It's dedicated to the temple, so I can't honor my parents by taking care of their needs. Instead, I'm going to say this is dedicated to the temple, and then later on I can go get it and use it for my own purposes. Jesus said, for the sake of your tradition, you're, you're disobeying the law of God. You're not honoring your parents as you should. You see, they had the law, but they weren't following the law. You see, they knew, but they weren't obeying. That was my life. I was living one way at church, living another way when I would go out in the world. And I knew what to do. I'd been in church. I knew what was right. But I was choosing, and it wasn't just an occasional thing. I was regularly choosing not to respond to God, not to respond to the Holy Spirit, 
not to do what God said. I was living for numero uno, for me. What I thought would do, do right for me, what I thought would be best for me, that was my concern. And if it meant disobeying God, I didn't, I didn't have any qualm whatsoever about doing it. I did have guilt, but I didn't, I didn't uh, hinder my pursuit of what was wrong until the day that Jesus got a hold of my heart and showed me I was lost. And I genuinely repented of my sin. You see, one big difference between a person that doesn't know Christ and a person that does know Christ, the person that doesn't know Christ has no real desire to follow Jesus. But the person who does know Christ has a new, that the new birth has taken place. They have a new set of desires. They want to please God. Now listen, I'm not perfect. I blow it regularly. But I want to please Jesus. And I come and I confess that. And I repent of that uh, by God's grace. But uh, Stephen says, I don't see this in you. You know it, but you're not obeying it. Matter of fact, you're doing wickeder things than most of the people in the nation. And you're supposed to be the spiritual leaders. Stephen was telling it straight. You know, but don't obey. So you might not know Jesus you don't know Jesus if you regularly and consistently know what you should do, but don't do it. Um, so you might not know Jesus. What, uh, what defining characteristics indicate that you don't know Jesus, you don't know him if consistently you choose not to listen, if consistently your heart is unchained, if consistently you oppose the Spirit's word, if consistently you know but don't obey, and if consistently you hate God's servants. You hate God's servants. Look at uh, the latter part of verse 51 and verse 52. As your ancestors did, so you do also. Which of the prophets and your, uh, did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. In other words, you killed Jesus, the one they were talking about. Look at verse 54. When they heard these things, they were enraged and gnashed their teeth at him. Uh, I've had people get mad at my preaching before. I had, I've had at least one that I know of that walked out uh, while I was preaching. Later heard about that. Um, but I've never had anybody gnash their teeth at me. Unless, unless you, if somebody here has gnashed your teeth at me, don't tell me, okay? But uh, uh, they were gnashing their teeth, right? They were gnashing their teeth. That's pretty mad when you're grinding your teeth because you're so angry. Look at verse 57. They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Now, that's some hatred there. That's some hatred. If you hate God's servants, you don't know Christ. What did Jesus say? If they hated me, they'll hate you. You see, you, you define who you are when you hate the ones that love Jesus. 
there was a man I, I knew previous church. Matter of fact, it's the same man I was talking to you about earlier. Um, bragged to me about all the preachers he'd gotten fired. And he threatened me. Not here, okay? Just in case you wonder. Not here. This was in another church. He threatened me as well. That's a big red flag right there. If you're the person that always runs off the preacher, if you're the person that's always opposed to the servants of God, who hate the servants of God. I don't know if you ever watched the dynamic. Uh, I remember watching uh, Franklin Graham on one of the newscasts. Um, this has been years ago. I think it might have been Peter Jennings. But <laughs> you could tell Peter Jennings just could not stand Franklin Graham. And Franklin Graham was just he's telling the gospel and everything. Peter Jennings just has this scowl on his face. You know, you can tell he just cannot stand it. That's what he's talking about. And the sad tragedy is there are those in the church who hate the servants of God that way. If, if you're one of those people, you need to be warned. You don't know Jesus. When you are changed by Jesus' power, you will have a love for the people of God. You will have a desire to be with the people of God. So, um, <clears throat> you might not know Jesus if. What defining characteristics indicate you don't know Jesus? You don't know him if consistently you choose not to listen. If consistently your heart is unchanged. If consistently you oppose the Spirit's work. If consistently you know but don't obey, or if consistently you hate God's servants. You got all of those, you need to rush down to this altar as quick as you can. You may not have all of these characteristics. You might have some of these characteristics. I was number four. I knew but didn't obey. Um, you might have, there may be one of these things that, that reaches out to you. But here's the thing. If you don't know Jesus, you need to get that settled. You need to, to listen, we are not, we're not promised tomorrow. We're not told that we're going to have a limitless number of days uh, to trust in Jesus. Jesus could come back, or we could die as we drive home or something. Uh, we're, we're not promised those things. You need to get it right with the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that I think is wonderful about this passage, and it's only hinted at, is that those who are among the haters of God's people can become saints. <laughs> Isn't that great? They're putting their coats, as they're stoning Stephen, they're putting their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Who are they talking about? Saul of Tarsus, also known as Paul the Apostle. But right now, he's lost. He's very religious, but he's lost. And he'll be saved. He'll be converted. And the one who was once the great enemy. They were so afraid of him, they wouldn't even let him come to church. They thought he was going to come and arrest them. Uh, and uh, God made such a change that the persecutor became the persecuted. He got on Jesus' team, and he began to experience the persecution God says the righteous will suffer. 
God totally changed his life. He had a joy. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. You don't know Jesus. You don't have that supernatural joy. You may be happy sometimes, but you don't have his joy. But when you know Jesus and you're walking in the fullness of the Spirit, you will have that supernatural joy within you. And one of the things I love about the Apostle Paul, he would, he would as he was writing his letters, he would just get off track. He'd start praising God. He'd get happy in Jesus because he just loved Jesus so much because God had forgiven him such a great sin and, and had changed his life. Oh, the potential of someone recognizing their lostness so they can repent and turn to Christ. It is my prayer that that would be you today. If you don't know Jesus Christ, maybe you're here today and you know you don't know Jesus Christ. Come and get it settled. But if you're here today and the Holy Spirit has put his finger on something in your life and he's shown you you're lost, you need to come do business with the Lord. And what it involves, of course, Jesus paid the price for our salvation. He lived the perfect life. We couldn't live. He died the death on the cross that we deserve to satisfy the justice of God for our sins, to bear the wrath of God for our sins, uh, and said, it is finished. It's paid in full. And he rose again. And then, as, as Philip mentioned earlier, he ascended after 40 days into heaven after being seen over about 500 people. Uh, Jesus paid the price. What he did at the cross makes it possible for us to be forgiven and to have heaven. But we must respond to Jesus. And that response is a response of faith. Uh, and faith is simply trust. And we express that trust in two ways. We express that trust by choosing to turn from our sin in our own way to follow Jesus. See, there's the sticking point for many people. They just refuse to turn. They refuse to turn. You make a choice to turn from your sin in your own way to follow Jesus. Lord Jesus, my life is yours. I surrender. Uh, secondly, you make a, a choice to receive the gift of eternal life. I love the scripture. It says the wages of sin is death. Uh, our, our separation from God, our hell, is the wages of sin. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God will give heaven eternal life, a relationship with God, the joy of his presence as a gift to those who will receive it. So if you're ready here today to repent of your sin and to receive the gift of eternal life. I'm going to just issue an invitation. Maybe you don't need to come to me here at the front. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you need to come to this altar and you say, Lord Jesus, I know I need to repent, but I don't want to repent. I'm struggling with it, and I need your help. Maybe you just need to come to this altar. Did you know that's what I did? Somebody made that challenge to me. If you're struggling with repentance, you asked the Lord to help you with it. And can I tell you something? Jesus did help me with it. And I'm so glad he did. So if you need to come, uh, this, this altar is open. If you need some help uh, with a prayer of surrender and trust in Jesus, it would be my delight to help you with that. Uh, you come do business with him this morning. Perhaps there is somebody here today that needs to join with this church. You sense this is where God wants you to be. Uh, and you feel peace in your heart uh, uh, that this is the place God has for you. Uh, you're welcome to come. And begin that process here this morning. Uh, perhaps there's somebody who needs to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Or to surrender uh, to Christian service or something. Uh, whatever God has laid upon your heart. Uh, I'm going to ask you to respond. As soon as we pray, uh, we're going to begin to sing. I'm going to ask you to respond in that moment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would help uh, people all across uh, this auditorium to respond to you. Uh, in repentance and faith. In Jesus Christ, 
that they would receive that gift of eternal life. And Father, I pray for uh, those here today who perhaps need to make another decision. Maybe, maybe they're not unsaved, but there's something they need to repent of, Lord. And uh, I just pray, God, that uh, we would be responsive to you and that we would do exactly what you're calling us to do here this morning. And I pray it in Jesus' name.